Hello, and welcome to Raising Eco-Minimalists, a podcast that acts as a community for those who are raising kids who care about their mind, body, and the earth. I'm Laura, your host, mom to a five-year-old and self-described anxious eco-minimalists. Thanks for joining. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am super excited to be talking with Brittany Jefferson of Teacher Mom Chronicles, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. But first, I just wanted to quickly say, Brittany, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I'm really excited about this whole podcast experience and, you know, to hear the episodes that you have coming out. So I'm Brittany Jefferson from Teacher Mom Chronicles. I am mom of three boys, uh, and I am a fifth grade teacher in Los Angeles, California. Um, And I created Teacher Mom Chronicles as a way to really share my stories of just parenthood and teacherhood and balancing all of that, but to also really educate my social circles about sustainability and sustainable living choices, as well as climate justice and really, you know, talking to kids about this very complex topic of climate change. Yeah. And I definitely want to get into that for sure. But can you tell us a little bit uh, about how you got to where you are today? Yeah. Um, So I've been teaching for seven years. This is my seventh year in the classroom. And so, you know, we say in the teachers say like there's no brain like teacher brain. And the way, you know, teachers break down topics and complex subjects and things like that in order to make them accessible to children and, you know, diverse learning settings, um, I think is really gave me like a unique skill set on how I talk about the things that I've talked about. So I really have my teaching career has kind of brought me to this moment in Teacher Mom Chronicles where I'm, you know, talking to adults about how complex climate change is and, you know, talking to them about different aspects of how to get involved. And then at the same time, because I'm so passionate about it, I teach the kids in my classroom about it as well. So, you know, I'm Teacher Mom Chronicles really has just kind of been born out of me loving my job and caring about the environment and, you know, loving my children and wanting to help to build a more sustainable future for them. Yeah. And I so appreciate the work that you're doing as a teacher. And I can only hope that my son, who is only five right now, um, who'll be starting kindergarten in the fall, I hope that he can have a teacher that is as passionate about these topics as well. So on your Instagram account, you uh, identify in your bio as a climate advocate and in other places, a climate activist. Can you tell us what that means? So I call myself an advocate because I really speak about the climate and I talk about the climate a lot. And some people consider me an activist, I think, because because I talk about it so much that really spend a lot of time trying to spread the word and just educating people about ways that we can take action, different choices that we can be making or different policy or news and things that are going on within the climate circles. And it kind of gets other people to then make more choices and to also get involved. And so 
I, I call myself an advocate because I really talk about things and other people have, con- you know, called me an activist. Um, but that's not necessarily how I would find myself. But I'm also learning too that really anyone can be an activist. Anyone can be an environmentalist as long as you care about the environment and you're making decisions and you're making choices that help us all live a more sustainable life and talking to people about it, then, you know, that's really what we need. That's so true. And one of the things that I've slowly realized over the past couple of years that I've tried to really get involved in this movement is that being an activist or an advocate or whatever somebody wants to call themselves, it may not look the same for everybody. And there's not really a right or wrong way to do it. You know, so I think what you make a great point about we're talking about it, we're doing things that we can, you know, you can still be an activist. How can this translate to our kids? This can translate in so many ways. I think that we as adults can tend to underestimate how involved kids can be with difficult topics or difficult conversations, complex concepts and things like that. And so for me as a parent, And as a teacher, I really try to help my kids at home and my students understand that each of us have a place in the environmental movement. We each have a place in the world that we can do something in our day-to-day lives that helps to improve upon the conditions that we all live in, right? And so, you know, when I talk to kids, I and I we teach and we talk about climate change and the complexities of it. We also talk about action and we talk about people who are taking action. We talk about ways that kids can get involved in their communities, ways that kids can go and talk to their parents and influence their parents so that they're making decisions in their households that are more eco-friendly, more sustainable, things like that. So it really is, there's so many ways, just like we were talking about how it doesn't look one way to be a climate activist or it doesn't look one way to be an advocate. It's the same thing when we're talking to our kids about it. There isn't one way to help them to get involved. There isn't one way to help you know, inspire them to take action. One book that I read called Talking to Kids About Climate Change kind of broke it down in like different age groups of how, you know, with younger kids, you really want to help just build foundational community skills and things like that of just like learning about love and respect and community and making connections with nature and make sure to be out, you know, being outside and cultivating this relationship of what it really means to love and respect nature. Um, And then just kind of building from there. Um, As kids get older, you know, that's when they start learning more about politicians and policy and things like that. And that's also where other emotions can start coming in, where you have anger, frustration about like the current situation, because the older students tend to understand the magnitude of climate change and the urgency of it. And so that also comes with other feelings of like, well, why aren't we doing more? We aren't really doing enough at this moment. And so, you know, kind of helping them channel that into ways that they can do things in their own, you know, circles. You make so many good points and some will expand on a little bit. I did want to make a note that I will uh, link that book in the show notes as it sounds like a super helpful resource. And I also just wanted to mention that I think, you know, you you mentioned the younger kids, just getting them to 
have those emotions of empathy and building community and, and connecting to nature. You know, I think that's where it's a little bit easier for us as parents. But when you do start to bring in those emotions, like you were mentioning, and <laughs> understanding what politicians aren't doing, that's when it becomes harder for us as parents to be able to navigate our kids through that. So you did give some really great tips about how we can help our kids become climate activists or advocates. Do you have any others that you would add in? I would also say too, that it's really important for individual people to kind of explore being anti-biased and anti-racist because when I think about the origins of climate change and I think about how we kind of got to this point of such an imbalance of, you know, between human existence and natural resources. I think really about the exploitation of people, the exploitation of resources. And a lot of that is founded in racism. And so when we are looking at how we can get involved and how we can be more involved, we have to understand that there are people who live and exist in a way that is different from, you know, what colonialism and capitalism essentially have taught us. And when we take time to really kind of explore those biases and really look at the systems that we have in place, then it helps us to kind of open up who we are learning from when it comes to climate change, who we are allowing to, who are we are giving a voice to, who we are giving, making space for when we're looking at solutions. Absolutely. And that actually leads right uh, into the next question perfectly. So something that isn't necessarily always understood by everyone or to be frank is ignored or people look the other way uh, is that we also need to have social and racial justice in order to have environmental or climate justice. And so you just touched on that. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Yeah. So, you know, kind of building on what we were talking about before, you know, with colonialism. And when we talk about the origins of climate change, a lot of people focus on when we started burning fossil fuels for energy and that emitting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And that may have been when our issue with carbon emissions started. That doesn't really account for like all of the deforestation that doesn't account for overfishing that doesn't count for the many other practices that really kind of boil down to colonialism and capitalism. And when you think about the enslavement of Africans and think about how colonial Europeans kind of spread out and branched out to different locations in the world and then started exploiting those resources as, and hoarding them for wealth and power, that's when things started being becoming so imbalanced because we can't just you know destroy you can't just like level forests and take all of the fish and take 12 million people from their from their home continent and disperse them throughout and you know have that be you know have us be able to kind of maintain our our coexistence with the natural world and as we you know as our society progressed and the word you know when we look at progress we always kind of look at it as it was as it's like this trade off in order to progress in order to become a more advanced society we have to destroy nature like nature is in the way and that's a very colonial mindset that kind of that rooted that was rooted in colonialism and so when I think about 
climate change and I think about climate justice, racial justice, we kind of have to go back and we have to reconcile with those choices that have been made. And we have to look at values and traditions of people who thought of natural resources much differently, who thought of humans' roles, our role as humans, as stewards of nature and cultivators of nature rather than destroyers of (laughs) nature. And so, you know, we have to kind of we have to look at indigenous practices. We have to make space for indigenous people. And, you know, the same thing with Black people and African agricultural practices and things like that. When we look at regenerative agriculture, that's those are traditions and values that came from Africa from and other indigenous groups. Or if you just look at indigenous people who are putting their bodies on the line to prevent further pipelines being built and things like that, it's because they are here, they're, they view their role as protectors of the environment. And so we kind of have to shift our mindset in one that how we are going to get ourselves out of this crisis is by ignoring all of the things and ignoring what has been done to people of color across the world and change those things. You know, we kind of have to really, we have to really look at ourselves in the mirror for a moment and say, okay, well, the way that we've been doing things these last few hundred years isn't working. So we have to build something different and we can look to other groups that have normally been exploited and marginalized and share some of that power with them. Yeah, absolutely. And and listen to them because they know what they're talking about. Exactly. So these, as you obviously know, these topics can become quickly overwhelming. And I think that's especially true when we're trying to include our kids in these conversations. So these types of conversations when we're talking about environmental justice, social and racial justice, we know that families of color have to have these conversations regularly. So how can we, and mainly speaking of white families here, talk about topics such as these with kids that we can include them in an age-appropriate way? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely easy for us as parents to be afraid that we're going to scare them by talking about big things. But the thing is, is that kids notice. And so, you know, one big thing that I would say is that, you know, if your child has questions about anything, you know, involving climate change, involving race, to not be afraid to have honest conversations with them about those things. And also, like, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty and the existential threat that is climate change with very young children. Like we don't have to explicitly, you know, have that conversation that's super overwhelming. And, you know, we can kind of allow them to come to that realization as they get older, but definitely being willing to have conversations about race, definitely being willing to have conversations about racism and how it factors into our society and, you know, being open and honest and being willing to answer questions and read books that and watch movies and shows that don't always center the same people that don't always share the same stories and so that we can all kind of understand that there isn't only one way to be there isn't only one way to exist in the world and our different identities our different experiences can really shape how we view the world and so opening up and allowing for a variety of people with a variety of experiences and creating community and power sharing within those within those moments are really is what's going to help us be able to create the type of collaborative 
community-based society that we need in order to be able to move forward. Those are really great tips. Thank you for sharing that. And kind of going along with that, you touched a little bit about it, but how can we talk to our kids and what are some ways that you talk to your own kids and the kids that you teach about the climate crisis without being overly doom and gloom? It's, <laughs> um, it's hard. So right now I talk to my 11 year old, I think the most about it. And we've kind of had conversations and I usually use something that has happened in the news or, you know, like a, an extreme weather event. Um, we happen to live in a neighborhood and in an area that is prone to wildfires. And we've been, you know, like super close to having to be evacuated before. Even when my husband and I went to purchase our house, when our house was in escrow, there was a fire here and like our na- the neighbors were all being evacuated and we were just kind of waiting to see like what would happen. And so that opened up a way for us to kind of have a conversation about like these fires. What is the root of them? Why is it such a big deal? This is going to be happening more often. And kind of, you know, having this conversation with my son about climate change being the fuel to why these fires are getting more frequent and more extreme and things like that. And then like what we need to do in order to move forward. And so, you know, we all are touched by climate change in some way, shape or form, wherever it is that we live. And if we haven't been directly, it's really only a matter of time essentially. And that's a way that you kind of, when things like that are happening, that's a good entry point to kind of talk to kids about like, well, why? And then also coupling it with action. I really try to emphasize too, when I talk to my class about things, when I talk to my kids about things, is that there are things that we can do. We do have time to fix these things. So like, what is something that you would want to do that will help you feel like you are making a difference and kind of tap into your child's interests, things that they like, and also things that they're concerned about and kind of go from there. My son, his fourth grade teacher, they were, you know, learning letter writing, how, you know, how to write letters and things like that. And they were also learning about Sequoia National Park. And they wrote letters to Kamala Harris when she was a senator at the time. And they wrote letters saying, you know, we need to protect the sequoias and the whole class sent them off. And then they kind of followed the story and the sequoias were able to be protected. And it was like this huge victory for this, for them. And they felt so good. And they were like, wow, we contributed to a real life thing that manifested in front of us. So, you know, it can be anything like that, you know, writing letters to public officials. It can be something around school or around your neighborhood, whether it's, you know, I know you have like a seed library and there's so many ways really to get kids involved in the solutions part where we don't have to focus on the negativity. Like, I think we all kind of understand that this is, you know, an existential threat. And honestly, in order for us to truly like make some differences going forward, we have to make big policy changes and make big societal changes now. And our kids won't necessarily be really a part of that huge, big change. What they'll be a part of is like the cultural shift that we as a society make 
as they get older and we continue to progress because, you know, sustainability and addressing climate change and mitigating the crisis is like a lifelong thing. It isn't going to be something that we fix in the next 10 years and then we go, okay, well, we're done now. Crisis averted. It's something that's going to continue on forever and ever and that we have to keep passing down future generations on living life a different way. And our kids can really help us do that. You make so many good points. My mind is my mind is churning. So I apologize for a second while I process. But I think this, it's also a really great way to, you know, your kids, you know what they're drawn to, what their strengths are. And I think it's a great way to help them become active in what something that they enjoy and that they're strong in. Uh, as you say, there's so many different things that we can do. And I wanted to ask a follow-up. Do you find that your son gets eco-anxiety? Do you talk about that at all? Or For yeah. my kids, I and even the kids in my class, because we've, we've talked about it a little bit, and I think that for young children right now, and this is just in my experience, so... But, you know, an elementary aged, I think kids are still kind of viewing climate change as a future threat and not necessarily a right now threat. And it is a right now threat for many across the globe. But, you know, living in the United States right now, you know, we're not really climate change is not really talked about a lot in the media. It's not really something that we have to think about day to day. And so I think that that is something that has played a role in my students and my kids. When we talk about it, I don't think they necessarily feel the anxiety of what it means quite yet. I think they kind of understand like it's a serious thing. It's a big deal, but not necessarily. I don't know if they've necessarily looked at it as how they are going to be directly impacted in their lives right now. And like that being a source of anxiety for them. Um, I haven't experienced that yet, but I do know that it is something that young people think about. I think about Gen Z a lot and like high school age, it does affect them a lot. And I do, you know, read a lot of articles about teens being more and more concerned about climate change and the lack of systemic change that we have right now that's that will help us kind of paint this clear picture of what the future will look like. Um, you know, that uncertainty definitely takes its toll. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just I can't help but think of how nervous it makes me and what they must be feeling about it. You know, the frustration and anxiety over it. It it's just really bad. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it, but yeah. So, kind of switching gears here. I know that those are some heavier topics. I don't want to like just dismiss by moving on, but in the sake of time, one of the things that I really love about your Instagram account is that you share a lot of great book reviews and recommendations. And I was wondering if you could share some of your favorites regarding the topics we've talked about for adults and kids. Yeah, absolutely. The one book that I read that I don't know, I don't know if it necessarily changed my life in, in that I was already kind of passionate about climate change and talking about it, but just like knowing that the solutions are there and that we we just need more people and more resources to kind of get on board to move them forward is all we can save. I highly recommend that book 
to everyone because it's solutions driven and it's an anthology. So there are so many voices that are highlighted in that book. And there are, you know, they're all women. It's really like, I, I listened to the audiobook and I was like, ooh, this is what my deeply depressed and anxious soul needed in order to, you know, just kind of be like, okay, how can I be more involved? How can I put my resources or my time to helping to scale some of these causes and some of these things that are already there? I also would recommend just trying to look at stories that are by BIPOC individuals because I recent I heard out I heard recently that like Bill Gates came out with a book about you know how to address the climate tr- crisis and I just kind of like rolled my eyes because <laughs> a person like Bill Gates like being a billionaire essentially by writing a book on how to solve the climate crisis really is just like gaslighting everyone because we this is kind of like something that rich white cis men have caused and so we need to open up the stage for other people um and for people of other identities to you know kind of come up to the forefront and put our resources into practices and things that they have already been doing for decades rather than here let's throw billions of dollars into new technology and so that we can continue whatever it is that we maintain as normal rather than trying to rethink how we can, you know, structure our way of being at all. So try to stay away from the typical white centered narratives. Um, There's also Braiding Sweetgrass. That book was very enlightening on just like indigenous traditions, indigenous cultures. I really appreciated that. I also, the green collar economy. I know people have, you know, mixed feelings about Van Jones, but the book, The Green Collar Economy, really, especially for people who are into business, who are into, you know, economics, it really talks about how we can, the way we can structure our economy going forward that addresses racism and environmental racism and also addresses the climate crisis. Those are all great recommendations. I will link to those in the show notes. I'm super excited to check out that first one that you mentioned. I have read uh, Writing Sweetgrass, and I also loved that book. Are there any for younger kids that you would recommend? We are what the Water Protectors is a beautiful picture book that I love so so much. It has a little like nonfiction section in the back. There's also Greta and the Giants has like these giants that, you know, like are destroying the forest and they're building these things. Like I really like it because it's not, it's not like a nonfiction text about Greta. Like it puts her in a very mythical setting. Um, And I, I really liked that. And the kids are pretty into it too. And then I also, I'm just going to plug myself for a moment. I do have a list of 25 picture books that center community, nature, and various climate change topics on my Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash teachermomchronicles. And it just has a list of 25 books that are all about those different topics that you can read to children of all ages, because every child can benefit from reading a good picture book. That sounds fantastic. And I will definitely link to your Patreon and then a couple of the other ones that you mentioned as well. 
So just to wrap up, there are a couple questions that I ask all guests. And the first one is, uh, what's one of your biggest challenges raising eco-minimalists or eco-kids right now? (laughs) The biggest challenge is the societal pressure that comes through commercials and marketing and things of junk food and like packaged snacks and video games. Like I think just constantly being bombarded with those things and like kids spending time talking, you know, kids like talking about video games and stuff. Like it makes me feel pressure to allow my kids to have more time on those things than I would feel comfortable with. But then I don't want them to feel left out and I want them to be able to have things in common with their peers. And so definitely balancing screen time and uses of technology and things like that and then like the junk food and the processed food that is so convenient and (laughs) that I rely very heavy on heavily on as you know a mother raising three children but at the same time am very mindful of I can absolutely relate and and I, I get the trying to balance wanting them to fit in with their peers and have stuff to talk about too so I definitely don't think you're alone in that um, the next one you kind of touched on already, so it's a good segue. Balancing the time-saving and convenient items that usually aren't super eco-friendly, but balancing that with sustainability. Do you have any tips on that? Definitely planning. Like I think the my what the times in our lifestyle where I feel like I am most successful is when I am prepared, when I make lists, when I plan to, you know, go grocery shopping and like plan meals out and stuff like that because eating healthier requires a lot of planning, a lot of time, a lot of preparation, living in a way that reduces the amount of things that we're buying requires a lot of preparation, you know, like with I do hand-me-downs with my kids and like every quarter I have to kind of like shift their clothes down when everything's gotten too small for everyone. And so I, you know, have this whole like this whole system on how I pass everyone's clothes down from the older brother. And then we kind of see what gaps need to be filled in the wardrobe. And like, that's when we go and we may go shopping secondhand or I, you know, I may just purchase brand new things, but it limits the amount of things that I have to buy because I have held on to the clothes from the older sibling that are still, you know, in pretty good condition. So yeah, lots of planning, lots of lists, and just like thinking ahead is the best tool for me to, you know, to stay successful. So that's well, that's what I pass along. Yeah, that, that's that's a great tip and, and so true. So any other resources for uh, talking with kids about the topics that we covered today that you'd recommend besides what you already mentioned and besides your own? There's a few books that I like. There's the power book. I really like that one because it talks about power dynamics and like it asks, it's really interactive and it asks questions throughout and it really helps students and kids in general, just to think about what power is, who has it, what ways it shows up. And then also kinds of it kind of introduces kids to other forms of power, like people power. And I really, it helps to kind of apply just like the general concept of power and who has it and power sharing and kind of building like that foundational skill and like building it as a value as a human to then be able to apply it to other areas. So I really like the power book. I also would recommend if you want to learn really about the history of the United States, 
um, particularly, but from a perspective, you know, there's a series of books that's like the blank history of the United States. So there's like the Latinx and African American history of the United States. There's the black woman's history of the United States. There's the young people's history of the United States, the indigenous people's history of the United States. And I, th- I, I even think there's one for people with disabilities as well. And so those books, um, I kind of pick and I've picked and choose chosen um, how I read those books with my class. But, you know, each of those books are great ways and they're just kind of gateways into the untold history of our country. Those sound fantastic. And I will, again, link to all those in the show notes. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that we didn't cover today? Climate change is a complex issue that really infiltrates all aspects of our society. And so for adults... I would say find your place in the movement, find something that you love and that you're passionate about or that you're good at and apply what you know there and then teach your kids and your children to do the same thing. Find what they love, cultivate their passions and apply it to our human connection with nature. And the more voices that we have collectively, the more we can change. And don't feel guilty for not always making the most sustainable choice because it's very difficult to do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that should be your, the, both of those things should be like an Instagram quote. <laughs> that, was, that was really good. <laughs> I totally agree. Uh, so can you share uh, where people can find you, um, your blog or social media, anything else? Absolutely. So for social media, you can find me on Instagram at Teacher Mom Chronicles. If you want to support any of the work that I do financially, you can do so by becoming a Patreon partner at patreon.com slash Teacher Mom Chronicles. And then if you just want to read the stories that I write from my perspective as a teacher, a mom, a person who is passionate about talking about climate change and climate justice, then you can visit my blog at teachermomchronicles.com. All right. Well, Brittany, thank you so much again. This was a great conversation and I know that people are going to get so much out of it. Thank you for sharing all the resources and then just generally for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much for including me in this, Laura. Thank you so much again for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing. These three things are the best way to ensure that the podcast reaches other people who are trying to raise eco-minimalists. Additionally, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, as well as the link to join the Facebook community group, all in the show notes. Finally, don't forget that you can become a member of the podcast and receive benefits such as extra bonus episodes, episodes a day early, learn about guests ahead of time, and lots more. The link to becoming a member or to find out more info is also in the show notes. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget that in order for sustainable living to be sustainable, it has to be sustainable for you. Until next time. Bye.